You're listening to Byzantine Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture in collaboration with the Melkite Eparchy of Newton. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and director of the Institute and host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, both now and ever, and unto age of ages. Amen. Welcome, everyone. I'm flying solo today. My brother is on vacation. We're looking at the second Sunday, the readings for the second Sunday after Pentecost, also called the Calling of the Disciples. Our reading is Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, so let's turn there in our Bibles, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 23, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 23, as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And now what we're going to do is take a look at the map of the Sea of Galilee where this occurred. You can see here at the top of the screen, the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. This is a relatively small area. This is the city of Capernaum or Capernaum. And if any of you have ever visited that area, there's a beautiful church, the Church of the Apostles there. The location where Jesus called his disciples, it's not on the map here because it's a very small little inlet. Most tourists don't get a chance to go there, but if you go the ICC on the pilgrimages, we always take people there. It's right about here, not very far from the village or city of Capernaum. I'm showing this to you so you can see how close this spot is to the place where Peter lived. Uh, Bethsaida also over here, the whole area here, as you, as you read through the Synoptic Gospels, you'll hear about all of these towns, all these areas. Jesus is spending his Galilean ministry in a boat, which is part of the theme today, going back and forth in this northern shore region of the Sea of Galilee. Now, when we read Matthew chapter 4, I think we can maybe get a, a little bit of a misunderstanding there. It sounds as if... And I think we've made this point before in some of the other studies. It sounds as if they kind of just drop their nets, they drop their boats, they leave them there, leave the keys in the ignition, and walk away, right? Uh, it even says they leave, James and John leave their poor dad there mending the nets. Well, that doesn't sound very nice. I think there's a commandment about honor your father and mother. So that should make us think, wait a minute now, if, if Jesus is the word of God, if he is the commandments of God from Mount Sinai in the flesh, would he really be calling his disciples to do something that would not really be honoring their father here? Well, the answer is no, obviously. And the reading, the way we typically read this passage is a bit off. 
again, I think most people, when they hear this story, they imagine the disciples kind of just tossing the nets on the ground and walking away with Jesus into the sunset. But that's not what happens here. If we read along later on in Matthew's gospel, this is in the next few chapters, Jesus goes up the hill from this spot. And you saw on the map I showed earlier, the Mount of Beatitudes, which is right there. You just go up the hill from this spot, and then you're on what's the hill or the Mount of Beatitudes, where Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount. And that sermon is chapters 5, 6, and 7. When Jesus was done with that sermon, look what it says. This is chapter 8, verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, it's a hill, really a big hill, Great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift of Moses' command for a proof to the people. And then in verse 5 it says, As he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him. So Capernaum is the town of Peter. We're going to see that Jesus is living in Peter's house. So he comes to the town. The town is right there in that same area. So they're not walking off into the sunset, going to foreign lands, at least not yet here. Then if you look at verse 23, it says, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And there was a storm. The boat? What boat? Did Jesus build a boat? Did Jesus make a boat? No, this is Peter's boat. So what happens is they don't really abandon their boats and their nets. We see them using their boats and even their nets later on in the ministry. So here in chapter 8, we hear about Jesus coming down the other side of the hill, down to the village of Capernaum. And then we hear about, in this very chapter, them getting into the boat and going across to the other side. There's going to be that story about the swine drowning in the lake. You know that. And then they get back in the boat and they go back. Look at chapter nine. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. This is Capernaum, not Nazareth here. Goes to, it's his own city. That's the place where he lives now. And it says, and behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on his bed. Now, this story occurs in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew just tells you about the healing of the paralytic. But this occurred in Peter's house. Now, Mark's gospel is the gospel that Peter preached while he was in Rome before he was put to death. And Mark, the evangelist, is called the evangelist because he wrote it down. So don't confuse that with the heretical text called the gospel of Peter. It's a Gnostic text. But this is the gospel of Mark, which is the preaching of Peter in Rome. Look what, look what Peter does. This is in chapter 2. Chapter 2 of Mark's gospel. When he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. That's at Peter's house. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room for them. So not even at about the door. Peter's house is not very big. If you've ever been to the location, I can't remember, I'd say, I guess maybe 10 by 10, maybe, maybe 15 by 15. It's a square house, foundation house, upon which were built various churches throughout the, the, uh, the years. Today, there's a large spaceship-looking landing pod kind of thing over it, but, uh, but there were some beautiful churches there at one point. So this is Mark chapter 2, 
verse 3. And they came bringing to him a paralytic, verse 4. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let him down. Peter remembers that story, right? They were ripping the roof off his own house. All right. Matthew's a tax collector. His tax booth was just down the street from here, about a block. And so he tells the basics of the story, the essentials. But Peter gives you a little extra detail that was fresh in his mind. And that was the fact they had to rip his roof off. Peter had to get there and fix that, I'm sure, later. All right. So that's the... uh, In Matthew's gospel, also in Mark, we see them here now in, in the boat, using the boat, Think of later on at the end of John's gospel. In John's gospel, we hear about them after the resurrection, they go fishing and they're casting their nets and things. They're not very good at it anymore. They're fishing. Jesus says, come on, guys, we got some other things to do now. But uh, in Matthew's gospel, if you continue reading, you find this boat not only in chapter 8, verse 23, but again in Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew chapter 14, after the multiplication of loaves, of the first multiplication story, it says in chapter 14, verse 22, then he made the disciples get into the boat, the boat, and go over to the other side. The boat. Not a boat. Not, not, are they stealing people's boats? No. Jesus and the disciples don't go down to the shore and just grab a random boat and go across. I mean, if you're not a fisherman, I guess you might think, well, there's just boats around. Why not? This would be like stealing someone's car, like, you know, walking out of the, out of the church and uh, the pastor and a few as deacons, they just walked up to the nearest car, you know, hot wire and drive away. Okay. This is not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is using Peter's boat. And if they need an extra boat, you'll find some places it's boats. Okay. So, so they, they have their boats still. They even still have their nets. They still have their nets, and they still know how to go fishing. Uh, the, uh, the house, they still have their houses. We saw Jesus is living in Peter's house. Jesus is traveling in Peter's boat. And then also, furthermore, in the Pauline epistles, we learned something else here. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 for a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 3. Paul is complaining to the Corinthians because they're not being very respectful. And so he says, as he is uh, correcting them, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is Paul speaking. He says, this, verse 3, this is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we, Paul and Barnabas, not have the right to our food and drink? Do we not have the right to be accompanied by a wife as the other apostles and the brethren of the Lord and Kepha, that's Peter? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So what's he saying there? Well, we don't have time to get into the, all the context of 1 Corinthians, but they were, they were challenging Paul. They were a very difficult community. And Paul shows them that though he had the right to be supported by them, though he, had the, he has a right to be married and have a wife and kids, and he has a right to the basics of life. He has not done these things so that he could focus solely on his ministry as a celibate apostle, Barnabas as well. But 
buried in this, we get a little detail here. Peter's traveling with his wife, and so were some of the other apostles. This should be no surprise. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we hear about the CV of a good candidate for bishop. Paul tells Timothy, look at this, this is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, The saying is sure, if anyone offers himself to be bishop, presents himself as before you lay your hands on him, you know, check him out. Okay, so he says, a bishop must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, so he can't have been married and remarried and, you know, many, many times. Uh, temperate, sensible, dignified, hospitable, an apt teacher, no drunkard, not violent, not, uh, but gentle, not quarrelsome, no lover of money. He must manage his own household well, present tense, keeping, present tense, his children submissive and respectful in every way. For if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how can he care for God's church? Notice that wasn't in the past tense. That's present tense. Okay, so what we find then in the apostles, and the stories of the apostles, and now their, their successors, the kind of resident apostle, a bishop governing a location, that they've got their families, they live in their houses, and if they're fishermen, they still have got their boats. Another example of this is Paul. You know, Paul is one I think we would think of as a, well, here's a full-time missionary, okay? All right, Father Sebastian, you know, you got fishermen there. They've got their boats. They're on location. they got their houses. But Paul, now that guy is going from place to place. Well, you're right, but there are a number of details in Paul's travels that help make the point that I'm making here, as you're going to see. In Acts chapter 18, turn with me over to Acts chapter 18. Paul was traveling, and look what it says here. This is Acts chapter 18. After this, he left Athens, verse 1, and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews, including Christian Jews, to leave Rome, and he went to see them, and because he was the same trade, he stayed with them. This is verse 3. Because he was the same trade, he stayed with them, and they worked. They worked, for by trade, they were tent makers. And he argued in the synagogue on the Saturday, on the Sabbath, and persuaded the Jews while he was there. Okay, so he's a tent maker. That's his job. That's his trade. His Probably his dad was a tent maker, and probably his dad's dad was a tent maker. So his, he's a tent maker by trade. He's a traveling missionary. He had never been married, so he doesn't have a wife in tow like Peter does. But he is a tent maker. And so when he goes from place to place, we see him making tents. And Paul actually makes a point of this. This isn't just kind of a side note in Acts. Look at 1 Thessalonians. This is 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, way at the end of the Pauline epistles. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. He's encouraging them to, to work with their hands. For you remember our labor and toil, brethren. We worked night and day that we might not, uh, that we might not burden any of you while we preached to you the gospel. 
And we can look at a number of examples like that in 2 Corinthians. You can just write these down. If you like 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. Uh, I have some others written down here. 1 Corinthians 4, 12 and 9, 6, and a plethora of other examples like this, where we see the apostles working, okay? Not only preaching the gospel, but working. And notice here, Paul refers to his work as a part of his ministry in a certain sense. He's not only supporting himself in the ministry, but he uses his example of working to teach them something about the gospel, as we see in 1 Corinthians, but also in, in, uh, in 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Okay, so what's the point here? Well, the point, I think, is this. A lot of times when we see, when we think of the early church, we think of the apostles, we, we have this caricature of them as they're, you know, Jesus called them, and then they went around the world traveling. They just, you know, left their former life and went off and did this new thing. In fact, tragically, I think sometimes vocation retreats and vocation talks are given in that way. But that's not what we find here in the text. What we find rather is not some sort of dualism between what they were doing before and what comes next. What we find is a transformation of what they were doing before to what comes next. Jesus comes to restore the world. He comes to raise it from the dead. He comes to, the kingdom of God is like, as he gives an example, it's like yeast in the dough. Okay, it's not a, a new lump. It's yeast in the dough, and it makes the dough now rise. It's like salt on the food. It gives it flavor and preserves it. And so the disciples spreading the gospel, or they themselves, even in their own lives, in the microcosm of their own little family, in the house, in their town, in their workplace, or whatever their trade, is transformed. So Peter's house is no longer simply a house where he has a wife and kids. Peter's house is now Jesus's house. But that doesn't mean the wife and kids have to move out. Jesus moves in, and the house becomes Jesus's house, where Peter and his wife and children live with Jesus, right? The boat of Peter is no longer, he doesn't just, you know, abandon it on the shore. They're going to need the boat to go from place to place, and so they're going to continue to travel from place to place using the fishing boats. They're going to need to eat. We don't have a whole lot of stories in the eating, but Jesus didn't multiply bread every time they were hungry. So they had to eat. And so catch some fish, roast some fish. We even hear stories about them eating at the end of, of John's gospel. Their ministry, their lives, their, their, their everything is intertwined. But the life they had before Jesus came into their world, not abandoned, but transformed, transformed into the kingdom of God. And so I think this is a, a, a wonderful text for us to, to ponder as we now enter into this, this Pentecost season. We've already celebrated Pentecost, of course, in the octave of Pentecost, but we are still in the, the, Pente the period of Pentecost, and we're going to see now 
that all of what the disciples did at Pentecost and what they and what we celebrated last Sunday, the on the Feast of All Saints, the fruit of Pentecost, is really actually something that was prepared beforehand by Jesus. He showed them how to transform their life into the kingdom of God. Peter's wife, his children, that family was now Jesus's family. His house was now Jesus's house. His boat was now Jesus's boat. And what's the application there? You might say, well, I'm not a fisherman. Well, when people walk into your house, do they know it's Jesus's house? When someone walk, like a visitor comes, you invite someone over, a friend from work, or, or some, a neighbor comes over for a barbecue. When they come into your house, is it clear that this is Jesus's house? This is a Christian home. Before you eat the barbecue meal with your, your neighbor, do you pray? Is the house, are there icons on the walls? Is there a place of prayer in the eastern corner on the eastern wall where your family gathers to pray? Is it clear when someone comes into your house that this is Jesus's house? Or does it look like Peter's house before Jesus came into his life? Just a fisherman's house. When someone gets into your car, okay, you may not have a fishing boat, but you have a car that you use for work and go back and forth. Is it clear that this is a Christian car? Is this Jesus's car? When you turn on the radio, when maybe your friend gets in the car or your, your carpooler friend gets in the car, when the radio goes on because there's nothing to talk about or something, is it a Christian station? Or is it a, a CD of some beautiful chant from your church, an opportunity to talk to the one in the car about Jesus? Are you using the carpool? Are you using your car as an opportunity to preach the gospel? Do you have a bumper sticker or a magnet of your parish on your car? When someone walks in, walks in the parking lot and sees your car, can they see that that's a Christian car? That car belongs to a Christian. There's a, there's a cross on that car. There's, an, there's a, a magnet or a, a bumper sticker of an icon of Jesus, something identified as Christian. Is there, or when they get in, is there an icon there on the dashboard? Or, you know, think of ways to do this. Is there a Bible there in your car? Hopefully you got one in the glove box, if nothing else. In your workplace, your desk, your cubicle, wherever you work, whether you're a, a plumber or a computer software engineer or a doctor or whatever the case may be, whatever your work is, is your work an opportunity to preach the gospel? It is. Are you using it? When you go to someone's house to fix their plumbing or their whatever the or their their air conditioner or their or you go or you're a painter or in your doctor's office or you come for a visit to a patient at the hospital you're a lawyer whatever the case may be do they know when you walk in the room Jesus is walking in the room and I I think we can all say well not always I'm not sure if I'm always doing that well that's okay the, the apostles weren't perfect either. You read the gospel, especially John's gospel, he'll show you the apostles are far from perfect. Jesus is constantly correcting them, and they're constantly trying to, trying to correct themselves and, and, and uh, walk in the footsteps of Jesus, which can only happen, of course, after his resurrection and the gift of the Holy Spirit, when they become the body and blood of Jesus, when they become Jesus' 
on earth. And of course, that fruit of Pentecost, the baptism of 3000, and the rest of the saints of the last 2000 years, we among those saints baptized into Jesus, this is our calling. Let us glorify Jesus Christ in our workplace, in our cars, in our homes, with his eternal Father, and his all holy, good, and life giving spirit, both now and ever, and to ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Byzantine Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.